On this newest episode, we're sprucing things up a bit, and we're talking all about Disney's juggernaut return to Pride Rock. It's all about The Lion King 2019. Get your popcorn ready. Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark. Begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba. And never return. Take your place in the circle of life. Movie buddies to the popcorn diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian Machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? I'm doing great. You know, I f- I feel like I'm eight again. Do you feel uh, Do you feel upgraded? Do you feel like you have new graphics? Same story, new graphics? Pretty much. <laughs> Good, yeah. Like we're eight again, 25 years ago. We are here today to talk about Disney's 2019 remake, photo reel. I refuse to call it live action. This is not. <laughs> and, and I don't think they have either. But photo reel animated remake of their 1994 animated film, The Lion King. And, and, man, there's so many different things that we could talk about with this movie. Uh, I think, David, you and I, before the podcast, one of the first things that we were talking about was the fact that... Uh, I, I, let's go right into kind of the mission statement. I want to do, like, a little bit of a history, right? Because John Favreau, one of my favorite directors, I would, I would say you're, you're a fan. Big fan. Uh, he, friend of the podcast, good friend, good friend of the podcast, director John Favreau. Uh, he directed the Jungle Book back, I don't know, it was twenty fifteen, something like that, twenty fourteen, while ago. And in that movie, he took the nineteen sixties classic and he made it photo real. the The whole idea was to make this movie in a LA soundstage and push the effects to a level that made it believable, right? 
Now, that movie had a human child in it. But for the most part, it was met with wild reviews, very, very positive reviews. It was a huge success, made over $300 million in the box office. And John Favreau then announced that he's going to make The Lion King in the same way. And I'll admit, even myself, when I heard that, I had question marks. Because I have a philosophy, and we'll kind of go into this a little bit later. I, I personally have zero issues with Disney remaking their entire animation catalog into live action. No issues with that. But I had always felt that it was contingent that the movie involved a human of some kind. And so when he announced The Lion King, I was like, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. how, how we can do that? You know? And he came out and he said, this is, this is true, this is his sort of artistic uh, mission statement, if you will, that he wanted to take what he learned making The Jungle Book and see if he could apply it to this story. Now, we're going to talk about kind of the successes and failures of that. You you had mentioned this is not going to be a spoiler, spoiler-free podcast, right? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, this may be a little bit of a tiny spoiler, but it's pretty much the exact movie from the first one. Now, they made it a half hour, which they extend longer. some scenes. Yeah, yeah half hour longer. Um, they extend some scenes. There's a little bit of new stuff, and so we'll kind of uh, we'll kind of save talking about those specific uh, additions right. to the end. But for the most part, from the story standpoint, it's the same story. It's it starts exactly. with it starts with baby Simba, then it has Mufasa dying. Then it has Mufasa going, hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa. Right. Then it has Mufasa, or uh, sorry, Simba. Simba. Simba playing with Timon and Pumbaa. Then it has Simba coming back and challenging Scar it's the and winning. Same movie. All that, all that is the same in this. Right. Um, there's it's, some intricacies that are different, uh, but the story itself is exactly the same. So, so with that being said, if you are worried about being spoiled for the 2019 Lion King, I will simply ask you, have you seen the animated Lion King? And if the answer is yes, then it's the same movie. If the answer is no, David spoiled a bunch just I a did. second ago. <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess turn the rest of this off and go watch both versions and, and <laughs> see what you think. Um, but let me ask you a question, David. Where Do you think he succeeded? Do you think he... More succeeded or more failed in his mission statement? Do you think that this film, and we'll get more into the nitty gritty as we kind of review it, but do you think this film is more of a success of that mission statement or more of a failure? Well, here's somewhere in the middle. Well, there's a couple challenges going into this movie right off the bat, and you kind of alluded to them already. Uh, The first is actually, there's probably three or four I'm going to rattle off here, Uh, but the first is, as you mentioned, this doesn't have a human involved in it. Right. So from that standpoint, one of the things about live action that they bring is there's certain things that an animated character can't do from a human standpoint, from an emotion standpoint, sure. that an actual human being can. Right. So that's why when you take an animation and make it live action, there's there's room to grow there. Obviously, there's other things that offset that a little bit that, you know, there's some give and take from that. But generally, that's where there's room to grow, which you kind of alluded to already. Second, the thing about Jungle Book was Jungle Book was made in 1967. Yeah. 
while people liked it, it wasn't like revered. Certainly you know, not I th- I, there, 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 Well, there's a lot of issues with it, if, sure. we're, if we're being honest. There's a lot of issues. In hindsight. There's the whole Beatles uh, buzzer vultures th- scene that's just weird. And yeah. There's some other issues with it. It's older. Um, it's you know, older. Like, for like my for like my dad's generation, like we grew, I was raised on listening to the Bare Necessities, sure. but it for our generation, it certainly doesn't resonate as much as the. But Lion there's King there's resonates. a lot of peaks and valleys in that one. Yeah. From that standpoint, so there was a lot of room to improve that story. You know, sticking to the same story but improving upon it. Right. Lion King one came out only. Yes, 25 years ago. Only. <laughs> Still, though, it's pretty revered, and I think going back to it, had there been a Best Animated Feature, it would have obviously won that that sure. year. Um, had there been a different way of nominating Best Pictures as there is now, it may have even gotten a Best Picture nomination back then. Um, but it, it's pretty revered as uh, from the golden age of Disney animation as being pretty much flawless from one that of the, standpoint. One of, if not the best. It's like basically Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. Like those are like, that's the Rushmore. Sure. Of the and go- of and the so I age. think that's why from Favreau's standpoint, he was kind of up against it going into this. That's a very revered project. It is. Um, I, I think, and again, I think that this film is, a multitude of successes and a couple of failures, in my in my opinion. Um, I think that from a technical standpoint, this is a huge success. There are were moments I watched this movie and I was my mind was literally blown. I was like, everything on this screen is made in the computer. Everything. That's crazy to me. Every rock, every blade of grass, every there's a couple scenes where they're running through the, the desert. And the the sand is puffing up, and I'm like, that is that looks real. Like it looks real. It looks tangible, and it's really amazing. And it's really a tribute, maybe less so to Favreau, but more so to the tech, the 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 the, the computer artists and the CGI artists behind this film in making it that that way. I think it's, I think the failure, and I think that Favreau will learn for this from this. I hope Disney learns from this as well. Is that you can't just remake anything. Yeah. You got to have and I do think that this film's biggest flaw is that it is just the animals. There is no human connection. And unfortunately, the mission statement flies in the face of that because you had mentioned things about like cartoons, what cartoons can do, what humans can do. And when you watch the original Lion King, they lions smile. They grin. They do things that humans do. They use their paws to pick things up. Like they're very anthropomorphic. They they have cartoon logic. Well, and they do things that animals can't do. Right. From the standpoint of like, I know online there's a a comparison that was circulating around on social media and stuff like that. Right. That's basically a side by side comparison of the Hakuna uh, Matata mm-hmm. scene and. In this one, it's kind of a, you know, we're we're we're, we're we're walking <laughs> and talking and singing Akuna Matata. Right. Um, there's no dancing. There's no cannonballs like, into the pond. Exactly. And in the re- live animation or in this version, you can't do that you because can. you're you're trying to make this real. You're trying to make this like if 
lions could actually talk, if animals could actually talk. Right. And there was a Hamlet-esque story that we were following. Like, you can't do that like you did in the animated. And so right away, there's an issue right. from that standpoint. Right. Which is funny because it adheres to the mission statement, but then it reveals the mission statement to be fundamentally flawed. You know, it's kind of a... Uh, a catch-22 of like, okay, we made this movie with the express purpose of making it as realistic as possible. And so then if you argue that like, well, it doesn't work as well because it's realistic and because the the, car, the, the, the lions aren't smiling or they're not doing cannonballs or they're not doing this or that, well, it's just not as good. When in reality, like that's the point. Mm-hmm. Thus, in some kind of weird circle of life, proving that you I see can't, what you did there. You can't you say, I see what I did there. <laughs> Proving that that you can't really do this without a little bit of that type of cartoonery, you know? Yeah. Um, that being said, like, I, I still was – I didn't find – because the faces in this film, the, the, they're animal faces. They don't emote. They don't smile. They don't work the same way as human faces do. They just don't. Right. As they do in real life, they don't in this film as well. I thought that for the most part, the voice work and the body language that the animators put into a lot of these animals helped convey it where the faces were lacking. Now, did it do 100 percent of the job? No. But I also feel like if you're focusing just on the faces, then you're kind of missing all of the other tiny little details that they put into some of the animation here. Um, but I have a feeling I'm being a little bit more generous uh, to the film than most people or maybe even you. So so I have two thoughts on this. Yes, I think, you know, I came into it and I don't know whether we're going to, I don't think we're, I, th- I think in light of what we are as the popcorn diet and we're movie lovers, I don't think we even need to bring in the negative quotes um, that we had talked about reading on here. No, but suffice, um, suffice to say, there were some people who were like one of, egregiously angry. One of the biggest issues that's floating out there about this film, and one of the reasons why it didn't get reviewed well by critics, w- the biggest sentiment that's out there is that you just can't get the emotion. It's soulless, it's empty, you know, whatever it be. You can't get it out of these real-looking animals. Like, the only redeeming quality is the animation. Yada, yada, yada. Right. Whatever that is. And I, I get that to a point. Um, but like you said, I think if if you're actually taking it in with the mindset of you're listening to the way the actors portray the voices and read the lines and deliver them, there's emotion in those lines. And to me, it delivered in that sense. Sure. Um if you and there was subtle things with the body language that led to it that didn't get out of the didn't get to that cartoon side where it's like a real animal wouldn't be able to do that sure but at the same time portrayed in a way that a real animal would maybe being happy maybe being sad you know all those types of things right it it did that now there's my positive side on it <laughs> <laughs> my issue with it is i think Pretty much, and this is always the hard part when you just do a straight remake, right. which you just were mentioning. I think probably across the board, maybe there's an exception or two or there. I think every character's voice was downgraded from the original. Interesting. Like, that's not saying they were bad. 
but they were but the different. bar was set so high right and you could even say um oh what's his name mufasa james earl jones you could even say his james earl jones 2019 was worse than james earl jones 1994, 1994, in my opinion. 25 years of James Earl Jones. Aging. I mean, it's it's kind of difficult from that standpoint. But the bar, my thing is, is the bar was set so high. And that's that's your problem when you go after a movie that a lot of people feel is pretty much flawless already. It was crazy cast back then. I mean, right. let's go through the cast real quick. Back then? Of Lion King, uh, 1994. 1994. Well, this also brings up another really good point as before we list these out here. One of the biggest issues people had with this film, or one of the criticisms, which I'll, I'll rant about in a little bit, was why does this film need to exist, or this film is pointless, or there's no reason for it, okay? Now, one big reason I feel like is that can be used to justify this is maybe doing a little bit more inclusive casting with a movie about big cats in the African savanna. Because if we read off the 1994 cast list, go right ahead. Sure. It feels very Caucasian. Sure. Um, so. Who do we got? We got number one. It's it, When you watch it now, <laughs> I don't know how much it works. But you got Matthew Broderick as adult Simba. Like. Yeah. So let me. Uh, I'm pulling up just to. On the diversity topic do, too here. You're going to do the comparisons. So. We have uh, Matthew Broderick as adult Simba, uh, JTT playing, playing, playing young Simba. Wow. Um, although they had someone step in to provide the singing voice, Jason Weaver did the singing Boo. voice because JTT apparently can't sing. Uh, Jeremy Irons as Scar. Yep. James Earl Jones as Mufasa. Excellent. Uh, Myra Kelly as Nala. Mm hmm. Um, then we had Nathan Lane as Timon, Ernie Sabella as Pumbaa. We had Robert Giammi as Rowan Rafiki. Atkinson. Rowan Mr. Atkinson Mr. as Mr. Bean as Zazu. Um, and then you start, we'll just go to the hyenas. Madge had, Sinclair. Yeah, Madge Sinclair as Sarabi. And then you had Whoopi, Cheech, uh, Cheech and Jim, Jim Cummings. Cummings as the three hyenas. Uh-huh. So, like you said, lacking a little bit in diversity, I think you maybe have... There's a lot of white people in that cast. You got Whoopi, James Earl Jones, well, and, sure. There's and, some and African American people. as three African Americans. And then you have, I'm pretty sure Cheech isn't white. No. <laughs> um, but anyways, you got a little bit of diversity. Even young Nala had some African Americans. So there is some um, diversity in it. Yeah, it's but not you're talking four... Th Three out of the five main tigers were, and again, this Lions. isn't anything to harp on, but I, I do feel like it's important that we got Donald Glover, Beyonce, Alfre Woodard, James Earl Jones back again, Chita Elgiofor. Like, we got these guys who are not only representation, you know, accurate, you know, uh, race representation, accurate for animated lions is fucking stupid. Just because they're from Africa doesn't I, mean Shut up. <laughs> don't. That's not. Don't do that. But <laughs> you're casting popular artists who sure. can sing, who can act. Beyonce, I have questions about her acting just in general, but 
and I know I'm oh, risking. Jeez. I know I'm risking the beehive coming after me. I don't think but, many of the beehive listen to our podcast. But so that's you never okay. know. You never know what kind of crossover we have. It might help us actually. But, um, but, but I don't disagree that that the, that the voices. I think the voices are good, but are they as good as 1994? And that's, and that's the hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I'll say I felt. I liked Matthew Broderick better than I did like Donald Glover or uh, yeah. Yeah. Donald Glover. Yeah. And I was a bigger fan of Jeremy Irons as scar. Okay. I love, I really liked this scar a lot. <laughs> you can't, I, I, not, you but, can't nod like that on a podcast. You got to vocalize your displeasure <laughs> in my comments. Cause the, the look that you just gave me like, okay, <laughs> I, I I had to think about we'll, we'll get through it a little bit more when we get into <laughs> more specifics. Uh, but then I also think the hyenas for me fell short in this one. Sure. Um, less cartoony. Less cartoony. Um, and they just weren't. They didn't have the same bit. They, they had were, a different You know bit. who they were missing the most? They were missing Whoopi. Yeah. Because I felt I can't remember who plays the kind of lead um, in this one. Florence Kasumba. Yeah. I, I just it just didn't come off as as well. I don't More, know. And and see that's the thing, and that's one of the reasons I really liked Scar in this movie too, is 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 the villains, if you will. And for better or for worse, again, for better or for worse. They were a little bit more sinister, I felt, in this in this movie. They were a little bit Scar was less of a preening like um a schemer and more of like this sinister opportunist. Um, and same with the hyenas, where they established a power structure amongst the hyenas, which I found to be additional. You know, it's it's filling in tiny little things that didn't exist in the animated film. And none of those were, in, in, in my opinion, none of those were really negatives. Um, were they unnecessary? Maybe. But were they bad? Not really, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing is I don't I don't go through any of them and think, any of it was bad. Right. Um, just to me, I don't know that it was an improvement. Sure. And some of this is where maybe if I saw all the lines get delivered and had it animated, you know, the original animation, like if you took all these actors and had them put them into the original animation where you do get the benefit of some other aspects from Ooh, okay. animals emoting and that kind of stuff. Interesting. Maybe the performances would have come off better because you get that assistance from it. Like we're literally having to just get the voices and realistic animal <laughs> emotions sure. from that standpoint. So you're not getting a lot of extra. You're literally having to focus in just on the voice and, and some body language from that standpoint. So let's pivot a little bit away from the voices and let's talk about kind of the stuff that it did because again the same it's the same story and if the lion king story of 1994 is good then this story in 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 2019 is good is it different no it's the same some people look at that as an inherent negative i do not some people i've read i i read a couple of reviews that called the script uh uh, safe or you know not taking any risks and I, I just feel like that's goofy as a as a I mean it's the same script in a lot of places almost almost like verbatim, verbatim yeah as the original so 
to me, if you're going to harp on this, then you better have, if you were reviewing back movies back in 1994, you better have complained about the script back then. Yeah. Now, I get the, you know, it's unoriginal. It's the same thing. I get that as, like, some people might see that as a negative. Like I said, I don't. Same thing goes with the music. This is the only score back in 1994 that Hans Zimmer, the, the legendary Hans Zimmer, has won an Oscar for. He hasn't won for anything else. He didn't win for Gladiator. He didn't win for, the, he didn't win for Inception. He didn't win for any of this. This is the movie, 1994's The Lion King, that gave Hans Zimmer an Oscar. And guess what? The score still slaps. It's still really good. Oh, it's fantastic and for this film. It's when you pair that score with the the imagery on the screen, mm-hmm. it it is so unfathomable to me that people can watch it and be like this is shit, you know? Like there there are shots of the the sunrise that are 100% fake. And I'm like it's real. You know, there are shots of landscapes that are 100% fake that I, it's real. The sky it's all fake, and it looks photoreal in many, many areas. And then when that, bum, 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 when that Hans Zimmer kicks in, man, yeah. it's hard not to get soaked up in it, you know? Sure. true of the songs now this is another one that i wanted to talk about um before we kind of before we take sort of our mid our mid uh, show break here the songs are the same but there are a couple of major tweaks now i wanted to know just from a blanket statement did did the tweaks work for you like for example the way that they staged i just can't wait to be king or the way that they almost completely changed be prepared did you did those work for you? Because I know a lot of people didn't work for for them. How how did you respond to the way that they made adjustments to those particular musical numbers? You know, the only one I really specifically noticed um, a change and thinking like that was different as I as I listened to it was be prepared. Like yeah. be prepared to me. You know, and again, it's it's some of the things that the animated film could do that this one couldn't that I think lend to it. You know, there's a lot of drama that's created in Be Prepared, um, you know, walking through. If I remember, it's got like the mud pits ex- uh-huh. and it's fire geysers, and all that. Kind of, yeah. The hyenas are marching. They literally like uh, they they uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They sort of took from inspiration from like Nazi rallies oh, yeah, yeah. and put that into the be prepared, the hyenas marching yeah. and stuff like that. Bold move for a film, for an animated film in 1994. And they definitely changed it up here. Yeah. It is way lower. It's way lower key. It's way more subtle. It's almost, um, it's almost a poem. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a whole musical number. Yeah. It's it's yeah. It feels very. It felt very abbreviated. Like I was like, that was it. Yeah. Like I was waiting for the be prepared number. Right. And it was over very quickly. It was over very um, quickly. The other thing, and this isn't really about the changes that they made, but I'm just gonna choose to go on my my real short rant okay, on it. Okay. All right. I had an issue with. Can you feel the love tonight? I'm so excited you're bringing this up. Yes. Go ahead. Not occurring at night. Okay. It. 
and you could tell me it was at sunset and that's fine but when not a single second of the entire song is when the sun is down and the moon is out and the stars are out like when there's not a single second sure in the night and we're saying can you feel the love tonight sure come on now okay so that was again it it wasn't like the song was terrible i mean it's hard to live up to the original i i'm not going to say that this one was on the same level as the original because it's an right. all-timer. Uh, but I wasn't I wasn't mad at the actual performance of the song sure. or felt like it was bad or anything. I just had an issue with the fact that none of it occurs at night. And yes, visually, everything that they're doing, it probably looks better at sunset or, or whatever time you're trying to tell me it right. is right Dusk. now that they showed. But when you're literally the line over and over is, can you feel the love tonight? Sure. And it's not night. Sure. I got an issue. So... So number one, I feel like this is an it, that that if I brought up a nitpick a similar way, you would be like, "Well, now we're nitpicking here." Okay, I feel no, I, I would not. I feel number two, I, and I feel, I feel very strongly about this. I wrote this in my article <laughs> when I wrote about the Lion King on on the Popcorn Diet website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But I've seen that criticism pop up a couple of times. Personally speaking, I feel like it's kind of a CinemaSins level, like. The song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, not set during the night. Ding. Because, in, and again, I think we're just getting into the weeds here. <laughs> but, yes, it's set during the afternoon dusk rather than the actual night. This is true. But the song refers to tonight in the future tense. As in, I'll be there tonight rather than we are here tonight. So it's referring to tonight as in we're going to go out and party tonight rather than we are like we're at the party tonight. That that's that's like because uh, remember the song is technically being sung by Timon and Pumbaa as they're watching this happen, which is "Can You Feel the Love Tonight" in the future tense, and then it's a montage. It's them; they're not actually singing the song. It's the song is being sung over them montaging, right? Like drinking water and frolicking around and shit. And so that's my only argument to it is that the the and this is a stupid <laughs> argument to have but it is an argument nonetheless in that i feel that the tonight in this version of can you feel the love tonight specifically in the film is referring to tonight in the future tense but i get the criticism that's just my only counterpoint is all quick question i'm trying to think now that i am thinking through it did we have any night scenes in this film? Oh yeah, there was a uh, a couple of night scenes. There was the night scene um, when Rafiki and Simba met at the lake, and okay. he looks up into the yep. stars. Yep. There's the where they're laying there and they're talking about balls of gas in the sky. Okay. And looking yep. Up at, yep. So there's yep. three or four times where they're looking up into the stars, and it's the kings of the past. Sure. And blah, sure. Blah, blah. Yep. I guess I remember. And that then now. like the finale of the fight at the end winds up being sort of night, cloudy, rainy. Yeah. Stuff like that. So there is night. Night does occur in the film. <laughs> I mean, to me, honestly, I feel like, again, you can call it nitpicky, but to I me, get it. to me, you should have at least progressed to the night, even if it just ends with them that being there in the evening. I get it. And the sun being down, like the end of the song being it. I just feel like you need some night. Some because night. because you're doing a montage of things happening and, right. and for all of that to happen and it still be dusk. Sure. I like this is a really long sunset. I get it. 
for all it. this to be happening. It's summer in the savannah. This when I long when days. I watch a sunset, it's like 15, 20 minutes. It's not fun. an hour and a half long. Because it's romantic. It's the I film. guess. So the other thing I wanted to mention was, um, and this is less so, but again, I thought they actually did a really good job of redoing I Can't Wait to Be King when the original was this huge, like, extra cartoony number and it's got, like, zebras standing on top of hippos, standing on top of flamingos, like, doing a huge pyramid and shit like that. I'm like, you can't do that when you're trying to be real. And I really liked the way they did the running through the watering hole and the way that the other smaller animals, the other kids, so to speak, were joining in on that song um, and the sort of adult animals were kind of in the back. And when they were all running through the water, like I thought that that was actually a really successful redo of that sequence, considering how colorful that sequence was originally. Um, I, I enjoyed that. I was like, this is a clever way of doing it. And the baby hippos and baby, like all of the baby gazelles and animals and stuff like that, like they're all singing with the baby lions. I thought that that worked really well. I thought that was a really clever way of redoing that that musical sequence. Did you have any reaction to that at all, or did it not land yeah, with you? Yeah, I, I, I thought that they did a pretty good job with that number. I mean, I think you maintain a lot of the fun of that scene, and that's why I was so disappointed if we're talking about you know continuing to talk through the different songs. That's why I was so disappointed with Hakuna Matata. Like, sure. And... You know, there's so much nostalgia for so much people, so many people with that song, and, and maybe they were afraid to like tackle it direct on. Maybe the, you know, actors that they maybe Seth Rogen can't, you know, can't deliver the well. full sing, you know, sing the whole song. Um, but that was such a fun song and is such a fun song. Period. Right. With two of the most beloved characters, if not the most beloved characters from this. Sure. And it's really kind of your intro to them, and we got a little bit more extra with them in mm -hmm. ways that we didn't in the previous film i really like them in this movie but the the number itself to me fell a little flat yeah so seth rogan's not the the strongest singer and it's not his strongest rendition but billy eichner does a really good job i really like timon and pumbaa we'll, we'll talk more about the different voices and performances and some of the more intricate changes but before we do we're gonna take a quick little ad break What's up, good movie buddies? Before we continue, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet delivered to you for free just by hitting that subscribe button or following us wherever you're listening from. We really appreciate you just taking a couple seconds, hit subscribe, hit follow, write a review, give us a rating, share The Popcorn Diet with any of your own good movie buddies. We also want to remind you that you can check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash diet and consider becoming a patron of the podcast by giving some money to the podcast. Podcast. Not only is it going to help us improve in all ways, shapes, and forms, it's going to help us create new content from you, but it's also going to get you access to some of that new content, exclusive patron-only episodes like our franchise refills and more. You can find us at patreon.com slash thepopcorndiet. Of course, we also don't want you to forget that you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at thepopcorndiet. And last but certainly not least, you can find all of our latest regular episodes, reviews, Oscar talk, and articles, including my latest article about The Lion King on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. Uh, but, David, let, let's talk about some of the voices for a little bit. Let's talk about some of the performances because, you know, we mentioned it briefly 
that you don't think that any of them were a really giant improvement over what happened here. But was there anybody that stood out to you? Were there any characters that stood out to you in this version that you enjoyed? Like, I really, despite the fact that they're not as the stronger singers um, as uh, the previous versions, I really like Billy Eichner and I really like Seth Rogen as Timon and Pumbaa. I like the way that they were kind of riffing. It seemed very much like they got to let their personality shine in those characters and really kind of make them somewhat modern versions of Timon and Pumbaa. There was a bit, there's a bit at the end of Hakuna Matata where uh, <laughs> Simba keeps singing it and Timon is like, why do we keep sharing? This is our song. Why do we keep sharing this song? Now he's singing our song. He won't stop singing it. And Pumbaa's just like, well, we can't, like, we got to sing it. It's our song. We got to sing it. We got to sing it with people. And I love that little riffing between them um did you have anybody for you that stood out or 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 were entertained by or were you just like okay it's good but it's not as good as the original like across the board you know i i think characters wise timon and pumbaa i feel like were good and they were their own version they didn't try to do and you even saw that in the one that sticks out the most to me the difference is um because it's one of my favorite scenes is in the end fight when they distract the yes. hyenas. Yes. And it's the in the original, it's are you aching? Yub, yub, for some bacon. Or some bacon, yub, yub. They go like with the Beauty and the Beast, like they're about to sing one of the. Mademoiselle. Yeah. Present to you, which I believe they pulled from the Broadway version. I think Billy okay. Eichner had mentioned that they pulled from a stage version. But okay. did you like that bit or because. I know what I love the Aiken for some bacon. Oh, bit yeah. In the original. I know that. And I was as much as I love the Beauty and the Beast bit in this one where they where they do that. Like we present to you your dinner and then be and then they just bolt. Yeah. I, it, great. It works great. But I can't like. But again, like the Aiken for bacon is so good to me. I, I didn't like it as much, but I think you had to do it in this version because like. In the other one, like he's like dancing and uh -huh, it's like doing the luau. Yeah, they got like a. I think they even have like the luau yeah, skirt on them does. and he everything. Has a grass so skirt. like you can't do that in this Timon's one. Timon's got an apple, or Pumbaa's got an apple in his mouth. Yeah, so I, you can't do that in this one. So with knowing that we can't do it, I feel like it would have fallen. Like you would have had even more people talking about like how that scene didn't come off sure. like it did in the other one. So I think they did a good change up to that and it was something unexpected in a movie where every i mean like we've talked about there's so much verbatim line for lines that right. we have in here right um so from that standpoint i liked um there was also really a different relationship between scar and the hyenas there so was we, we already talked about how um his song was different hyenas yeah we talked about the song was different in this one there's four or three Four main hyenas. Three. There's three. Is it only yeah, three? Yeah, there was three in the original. There's three here. They have different names, though. But I feel like they always traveled in four. That group always there, had four in a, a number. There might have been a fourth one. I just it, they, I don't think there was But there was only anywhere. three that really talked. Yeah. Um, Florence Kasumba, Keegan-Michael Key, and Eric Andre. Yeah. yeah. Did Shenzi, Kamari, and Azizi, where it was in the original, it was Shenzi, Bonzi, and Ed. Yeah. 
which I loved Ed. I loved Ed, but that wouldn't again wouldn't have you worked could, here. Yeah, because like he was you, the giggling. You basically you know. made like a mentally disabled hyena. <laughs> Pretty much, you can't do that in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not going to come off. But I, you know, I liked, I liked uh, Eric and Keegan. We already talked about you know my issues with the other. Sure. Um, but it was different from the standpoint of I felt like in the previous one. Very rarely did you see more than just the three. Mm-hmm. Like you saw it at one point towards the end in the fi- finale portion of it. You saw more than just those three. Right. But it was pretty much three all the other times. And this one, there's always kind of like extras. Yeah. Around. The hyenas are a real threat here. And and I think to that, one of the biggest things that they changed, and, and I actually, um, you know, was thinking about this as I was walking watching they made a couple of those chase scenes much more intense than what the cartoon is yeah like the cartoon had its moments that you're like this is this is heavy for a kids movie Mm -hmm. but this one like it was more it was heavy in the previous this was like it could be like legitimately scary for like super young kids for sure the whole elephant graveyard sequence actually plays into the idea that hyenas are burrowers too and it has them it has uh the young uh, uh simba and nala kind of running through these underground tunnels as the hyenas keep trying to dig down and get them is really effective. Yeah. Likewise with the final battle as well. Like you truly feel like there's some stakes here because there are dozens of hyenas that we have to fight through. And it's not just Simba on Scar. Yeah. And um, it's not just the pride taking on like three or three four hyenas. hyenas. Scar. Yeah, like you felt like this was like a more evenly matched, even though we again knew what was going to happen. Right. Like, we felt like this was more evenly matched than the first one. It felt like we'll disperse a couple of hyenas and then it's and even. Then it's, it's everybody a mano, against. A mano. Yeah. Right. I, again, I really liked Scar. I love the, what they did with Be Prepared. It's not as theatrical, it's not as big, but I really liked how menacing they made it. And I really liked how they, they tweaked Scar. And like I had mentioned before, in the original Lion King, Scar is kind of this. This preening conniver. He's he's always conniving on how to you know make these moves and changes, and he's already partnering with the hyenas at the very beginning. And in this film, it almost seems like Scar is just kind of like resigned to his fate. Like this sucks. I should be doing this, but there's nothing really I can do about it. So ugh, whatever. Until and even when Simba comes up to him and he's just like, I'm not a babysitter. Like go with the go with the pride. I'm not your babysitter, and but then Simba starts talking and he gets the opportunity, and he sends him off to the elephant graveyard because he knows that's where the hyenas are. And then he shows up and the hyenas are like, "We're gonna eat you!" And he's like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait. We can team up. We this is a this is an opportunity for both of us." I like that. I like that he's more opportunistic. In this one, I like that he's more, he's clearly weaker. You know, he's clearly, the way that they designed Scar, he's got a longer face, he's he's skinnier, and everything like that. And and I just enjoyed that, and I really liked what Chiatel did with the voice. It's, is it Jeremy Irons? No, but nobody's Jeremy Irons. I mean, <laughs> that's true. an all-time voice, yep. you know? So I found myself really liking Scar, despite the internet's efforts to get me to hate Scar. There's literally... A clip that compared the "Long Live the King" sequence, with, and it was it played the animated version of "Long Live the King," and then it played some really bad bootlegged version mm. of this one, 
with the big headline, this is actually embarrassing. And it got like 70,000 likes. It got all this play and stuff like that. And you got all these people talking about, oh, he doesn't do the claw thing. Or, oh, this is embarrassing. This is so bad. This is garbage. And it's like, I get so frustrated with people who judge the entire artistic merit of a movie on a, on a bootlegged 10-second clip because he does the claw thing. Mm-hmm. Everything he does is really effective. And yeah, he like swipes at Mufasa's face to get him knocked down like a fucking big cat would. Yeah. You know? Um, and I, that's one of the reasons I kind of got mad about everything leading up to this film and the way people were preemptively judging it because they were judging it by like 15 second clips. Sure. When in reality, in my opinion, Scar is one of the most effective adaptations from the original to here. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, I think one of the other dis- differences with Scar and the hyenas would just be the hyenas come off as like a formidable group, whereas in like the first one... They seem like a bunch of bumbling idiots. Right. And Scar gives them that opportunity. Whereas in this one, yes, you got kind of the goofball and, you know, Keegan's mm-hmm. character and, and Eric Andre's, uh, character, Andre's yeah. character. But they seem like they're an actual threat. Like you talk about, you know, multiple times in the f- film about like that's one of the big threats to the Pride Lands is the hyenas. Is hyenas. Whereas in the first one, you never really feel like they're an actual threat. Like right. Scar is the main source of power with them. Right. Whereas in this one, you feel a little bit more like the hyenas give Scar his power versus, mm-hmm. you know, he's the brains of the operation, not the brawn, where you felt like he was kind of both in the in the animation. Yeah, and it kind of carries all the way forward to Scar's death as well, which is identical. Um, although they do linger on the hyenas attacking him just a little bit longer before panning up to the shadow. Yeah. And I feel like it does give it a little weight. Like, these are dangerous hyenas, and they've been yeah. turned against, and they're hungry, and they're going to yep. eat you now. Yep. Um, so I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> One other thing that they changed that that I had an issue with as I watched it. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I know what you're going to say. So, this, so the original movie, The Lion King, was... 88 minutes. 88 minutes. Okay. <laughs> That is one two, hour and two, 28 minutes. Two minutes, it says 129. So oh, 128, me. 129. Regardless, it was under 90 minutes. Yes. As an animated film, should be. As, As a kid's movie, should be. I have a kid. I was going to take him to Lion King this weekend, but I said, you know what? Secret Life of Pets, which he had, which we hadn't seen yet, yeah. is 88 minutes. I'm going to take him to the 88 <laughs> minutes one, and I'm glad I did. Anyways... This film is just shy of two full hours. It's 118 minutes. That's an hour and 58 minutes for those of you counting. And there is one scene in particular where I was like, is this really why this movie is two hours (laughs) instead of an hour and a half? And it was the scene where we follow. So in the in the cartoon it is uh, everybody thinks Simba's dead, and Rafiki and, realizes and he's Simba, alive. Right, based Simba on plops down, and the pollen falls flies in the air, um, and Rafiki like sees it or smells it or grabs it. I don't remember sure. what. And he's like, "Simba is alive!" <laughs> yeah, they do and, it a little bit different. And, and I get it. Like if we're going realistic, all that good stuff, like that's probably unrealistic. Uh-huh. You know, I could get into how a monkey smelling fur and knowing it was a lion from like at least 10 years ago or what would have to be at least five or six years ago. Sure. I don't know what the life cycle of a lion is, but it's a while regardless. Anyways, but we follow some fur of Simba's 
for what feels like at least five minutes. It goes through it's, a journey. It's through like a National Geographic film. Like yeah. this already looks beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's a flex of the technology. I get it. <laughs> it's a big flex. It's a big flex. And it's, to me, an unnecessary flex. You know what? I haven't even looked it up, but if you have... If you if you're familiar with the Run P site where it tells you opportunities where you can go yeah. to the bathroom, this would be a perfect opportunity. As soon as you see some fur shed off of Simba and start traveling, go run to the bathroom because it's about six minutes of watching it fly. It's a minute, but as you said, again, does it add anything to the movie? No. <laughs> does it contain some absolute amazing visual uh, effects? Yeah, like there was a shot, like when it does that, there's a shot where there's a dung beetle that um, is... The dung beetle was extended. Even. I love the dung beetle. Um, <laughs> I'm but there's glad because it was long. There's a, there's, a, there's a scene of that, and um, it looked real. Like, not only did it look real, but the physics of... And I can't believe I'm about to say this. But the physics of the way the dung was being rolled and like rolled with the ground looked real. And that's one of the hardest things to do with computer animation is get like the gravity and physics of something right to get the weight of something right. And I was like, that looks like a real ball of of shit. Like I couldn't I was I was amazed at how but at what cost, you know, <laughs> what cost? Are we getting it? There are a couple other ones, too. I would say a lot of the runtime is padded by, like, extended shots of, of sure. landscapes and stuff. They throw in that new Beyonce song while Nala and Simba are running through the desert. Uh, what is it? Spirit. When Nala leaves and then Simba runs up and meets her in the desert and then they're running together while Beyonce, you know, sings about spirit or whatever. Like, that's new. And that was another one of the shots where the lions are running across, like, a sand dune and the sand puffs up. And I was just like, that looks real. It looks real. And it's hard not to be amazed by that. Um, it's really, really hard not to be amazed by that. So, David, I have a couple of things that I wanted to talk about before we wrap this up. But before we do... Let's give The Lion King a popcorn rating. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Now, I did not write a review for this film. I wrote an article about it, but in my article, I kind of gave it positive, mostly a positive take. But for those who have never listened to an episode before, this is a really interesting episode for you to join in. But for you've never listened to an episode before, we do our ratings a little bit differently. Instead of one, two, three stars or two thumbs up or whatever, we basically have five levels of popcorn that we like to grade a movie on. Burnt popcorn means the movie is garbage. Don't waste your time pretty much ever. Stale popcorn means if you have to watch it, watch it for free. Uh, but it's really not worth spending a ton of money on. Microwave popcorn means it's in the middle. Your mileage may vary. It could be really good. It could be really bad. It's fine, and you can go see it in the theater or wait for it to come in uh, uh, and watch it uh, in the comfort of your own home. We have movie theater popcorn, which is you should probably go see this on, on the big screen in a movie theater. And then we have perfect popcorn, which is go out and see this movie as soon as possible. And then if any one of our popcorn ratings happen to fall in the middle if we feel like it's not quite bad enough to be a stale popcorn but it's not quite good enough to be microwave popcorn then we throw a soda there in the middle and we include a soda with any of our ratings so david for you what did 
the 2019's The Lion King come at you for popcorn. What popcorn are you going to give this one? All right, I'm going to give a little extended answer here. I love so, it. That's you know me. So if if I was judging this without the context of the 1994 movie, I'd probably give it three popcorn. Interesting. Um, I I think you I think you would walk away from it saying it's good. You know, obviously it's breathtaking from a visual standpoint. Right. Um, if I was doing it just on that, it would be five. Um, but if you were just judging it without the context and the nostalgia, I don't think I would have walked away from it enjoying it as much. Now, that being said, with the context of the original and it being a remake and some of the nostalgia that goes there, like for remaking one of the better animated movies of all time, I give it a four. So my final answer on this is three and a half. It's, okay. It's three. It's microwave it's, popcorn and a soda. It's microwave popcorn and a soda. If you like Lion King, the original, and you want to see what they did and you want to go in with an open mind and see a visually stunning movie, go and see it in the theaters. There's going to be nothing like seeing it in the theaters. If you didn't really like the original or you kind of are on the fence about remakes you're probably going to be not walking out like that was awesome. Sure. So you probably could wait for it to stream or, or to, to rent it. Sure. And this, this again, it comes, it comes with the very nature of the way we do our popcorn ratings. That makes it so difficult because I'm pretty much in agreements with you. I'm going to give it four popcorns though. Again, if you were going to see this movie, looking for something new from a storytelling standpoint, a song standpoint, character standpoint, you're going to be sorely missing out, okay? It is the same movie. Now, if you liked The Lion King and you're coming to see something that is visually impressive, I think you're going to get what you're looking for. I think that this, again, this is the type of effects on display here push technology forward. This is the type of, this is when Avatar showed up in uh, 2009 People heralded that as a leap forward in filmmaking, particularly in filmmaking effects. I feel like this film represents a very similar leap forward in filmmaking effects. I feel like the photoreal stuff that they put on display here is unlike anything that's ever been put on the screen before. Uh, it is genuinely looks real. Now, how does that work from a, an emotional standpoint? Does it succeed? Does it fail? I think it's mixed there. So I'm going to give it movie theater popcorn just for the sake of I really do think you should see something like this on the big screen. But it does come with a bit of an asterisk, which is if you've seen The Lion King before and you like The Lion King, you're probably going to like it. But if you if you didn't like The Lion King or looking for something different, you're going to be missing out. Uh, I did want to wrap this up with one last question, David. And this is kind of we kind of alluded to this before. But do you think these live action remakes only work if there are humans involved? How do you stand on the live action remakes? I know I I've voiced my opinion, which I'm fine with it. Like I'm fine. Like if you want to make a live action Ratatouille, go for it. You know, I'm fine with it. I'll go see that movie. I'll be interested to see how you do it. Um, but what about you? What, where do you stand on these remakes? So where I stand on these remakes is they make complete sense to me from a financial standpoint. If I was Disney, I would make them. Sure. It's like printing money. You don't have to find creativity from a standpoint of the story, which no one does a whole lot of these days. Yeah. So 
you have an easy story to retell. You have a built-in fan base for it. They're pretty safe bets. So, I mean, who am I to knock a company that is running a business for making sound business decisions? Sure. I don't have to like it from a creative standpoint. But guess what? You don't have to go see every movie that comes out. No. There's plenty of movies I don't see, and and I'm perfectly fine with that. I have no interest in them. So, again, you can be pissed off about it, but how can you blame them when this is going to come close to $200 million on its opening? It's made almost double its production budget worldwide Worldwide in one week. It's a $250 million production budget. It's going to be close to $500 million worldwide in you, week one. How do you argue like, against How that? can you knock that? I, I mean, a lot of people bemoan the creative, who, the creative bankruptcy. And that's stuff fine. Like that. If they had a chance to print two hundred or five hundred million in one weekend, they would do it too, <laughs> regardless of the fact if people didn't like their creativity or not. So I can't knock them for that. Is are any of these movies ever going to be on my most anticipated movies of 2019, 2020, 2021? No, because I've seen them, and to date, Disney hasn't shown that. They're doing anything real original. Jungle Book, which was not the first. I think it was the second or the third one yeah, they did. Yeah, because they did like Cinderella and Maleficent before they did Jungle Book. But it was like the first, like, okay, like, sure, we're really elevating these. Right. Like, Cinderella, while a direct live action remake hadn't uh -huh. been done, we've seen Cinderella with people. Sure. Like, real people. With Brandy. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Jungle Book was the first time, and they... To me, they improved something like Jungle Book. So I would get more excited seeing like some of those really old ones sure. get taken and redone um, versus like some of the, the newer ones that are coming out. Um, I'll tell you. But yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at some of these and I'm not going to list all of them. There's a lot of cartoons that we could go through here. But if they announce like we're going to do a live action Atlantis Lost Empire. I'm very interested into what that type of adventure movie looks like. Same thing with Treasure Planet. Like, those were not huge animated successes. But as live action, like, adventure movies, sci-fi movies, like, that's interesting to me. Would There's, I be as interested in, like, a live action? You're a big fan of uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame. I am. Would you There's want a no, live action? That movie is already so dark. <laughs> like, how would they do? And you know what? They might. And, and what's interesting about these um Remakes is they basically there are three versions of these remakes. Number one is the we're gonna adhere very very close to the original. Your Cinderellas, your Beauty and the Beasts, your Lion Kings. They're almost exactly like the original with like maybe a new song thrown in. Right. The other ones is we're gonna do it, but like oh, it's the story you haven't heard before, like the Maleficence or what I hear they're gonna do with Cruella. But what the ones that genuinely fascinate me are the ones where they're like, we're going to take the original source material and re-adapt re it, or we're going to mm -hmm. take the concept and re-adapt it. So like Mulan is making some gigantic changes from the yeah. original film. I'm interested. Pete's Dragon is one of their best movies. Yeah. It is so good. 
and and nobody saw it. And even as much as I didn't care for Christopher Robin, at least they tried to do something different. So I'm willing to give credit where credit is due there. So I'm still on board with everything that they do, but I do wish that they would do that more. I do wish that they would take the concept and just like, here, make of the movie that well, you want to make attached to that well, concept. Well, I think what you've seen them do is the massively popular ones – They've stuck to the source material. Beat for beat. Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. Sure. Right there are three of the most popular Disney movies of all right. time. And they stuck beat for beat with them. Right. Um, the ones that they didn't, and even Cinderella, Jungle Book, mm -hmm. they stuck pretty beat to beat with all of those. But you get like Maleficent. Mm -hmm. You get Pete's Dragon. Older ones or, or like Dumbo, like expanded upon it. Yeah. Ones that weren't as popular. The problem with that is... They're showing creativity, but they're not getting rewarded at the box office. Sure. Like Dumbo, didn't make a ton kind of, of a flop. Pete's Dragon Pete's only Dragon, made seventy-five million dollars. Big flop. We it's so those good. are those are two different ends of the spectrum. We both love Pete's Dragon. We both were eh on Dumbo. Yeah. So we'll see. But if I'm making a prediction, the Little Mermaid remake that we're getting, yeah, I'm gonna guess it's pretty much shot Shoot. for shot. Five hundred million dollars. And it'll make all the money in the world. Absolutely. I'm in. I'll be there. I'll see it. Whatever. I don't care. Pocahontas, Hunchback. If you do Hunchback of Notre Dame, I'm in. I don't know why it is. I just like movies. I, even if they're the same movie told in a different what way. What about Emperor's like New Groove? Sure. Especially if you cast David Spade. <laughs> Can we have David Spade be cast as why live not? action? One of these days, we should do a whole podcast just on like we each pick three movies to do and Bad we fantasy Lama. cast them. Um yeah, man, I'm in. I'm fine with all of these. So, right. you know, if you if you don't like it, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we don't want you to – we're not judging anybody on that. But at the same time, we try to find the things that we love, and, and this was a really visually amazing movie. But that's going to wrap it up for us. Again, before we finish, I want to remind everybody that you can get regular episodes of The Popcorn Diet just by hitting subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to us. Don't forget to check us out at patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Consider becoming a patron of the podcast. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram at the popcorn diet. And last but certainly not least, you can check out all of our latest regular episodes, articles, reviews, Oscar predictions, and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another good movie on a popcorn diet. Adios.